Thanks for listening to Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. We upload new episodes every Monday and Friday. Be sure to listen to Uncaged Voice on Twitch or YouTube and listen to the Red Pill Current News Podcast on all major audio platforms every Wednesday and Saturday for current news and special interviews. Here are your hosts, Donny Cage and the Kentucky Guy. All right, and welcome to Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, the Kentucky Guy. And your other co-host, Donnie Cage. Aha! How we doing, Donnie, after this wonderful weekend of wrestling, sir? I am doing great. Let's get ready to rumble! So much, so much happening uh, this weekend. Uh, just, uh, a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about in today's episode. Hey, if this is your first time joining us, be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button. No matter which platform you're listening to us from, we are on 73 audio platforms at the moment. Uh, also, Mr. Cage has his own podcast that he created and a co-host of. Uh, sir, would you like to go ahead and tell everybody about that? Yes. If you'd like to follow me on YouTube, you can follow the Uncaged Voice Podcast we have, we've done about uh, 15 or 16 episodes to date. Myself, Top Tier Brian, and Jigsaw Jester. All right. And also, if you like to uh, hear interesting interviews, uh, this is November, the month of the stars. Uh, we just uploaded a new interview today uh, with a, uh, a gentleman out of Poland. And uh, he's a famous author and uh, really just a very interesting all-around entrepreneur. Uh, that's the Red Pill Current News Podcast. Uh, we download episodes there every Wednesday and Saturday. Uh, we're on all major platforms as well, audio platforms. And right here, we download new episodes every Monday and Friday. Uh, also, if you ever want to be a guest on the show or have any questions for Donnie or myself, uh, you can always... Oh, Donnie, I do have a question for you. Uh, I'll give you just a minute and we'll get on that. Uh, also, if you have any... Uh, or if you ever want to be a guest or have any questions for Donnie or myself, you can always reach us at olkentucky99 at yahoo.com, olkentucky99 at yahoo.com. Now, uh, let's see here. This is from Stacy M. Uh, and it says, uh, I know that Mr. Cage is uh, located in Philadelphia. Uh, the pay-per-view for AEW this weekend was in New Jersey. Uh, did he have intentions on going or uh, any plans at all in, as far as going to the AEW uh, full gear pay-per-view? Well, the unfortunate part about that was because I had already booked my uh, trip to South Carolina to stay with some friends. I, I unfortunately did not have plans to go to the AEW pay-per-view. And also, I think, I don't remember if it was in East Rutherford, New Jersey or Trenton, New Jersey, but that's, uh, th- that's a bit of a drive from uh, Philadelphia for me. So, not to say I wouldn't have necessarily gone, but if I was going to go, probably would have 
gone with a couple of friends. So, um, it's not, it's not that I didn't want to go because I wasn't interested, but just already had booked some, uh, booked another trip prior. Right. And it sounds like the trip that you actually went on was more important than a pay-per-view. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on your perspective, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, when it comes to kids, you know, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so, yeah, but thank you so much for the uh, question. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. And, yeah, I guess where you do live in, t- in a major city like that, um, yeah, that'd probably be one of my questions, too, because uh, if you're like me and you live in God uh, uh, country and uh, not close to a major city, then, uh, you know, you don't get that opportunity. But I would consider that, yeah, New Jersey is quite a drive <laughs> from Philadelphia. Uh, but you know, people travel a lot farther than that for wrestling shows. And after we get into this, uh, pay-per-view, uh, it might've been worth it because there's a lot of pretty interesting stuff that happened. But anyways, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's go ahead and start off with the, uh, normal segment that we start all shows off with. And that's my fantasy booking. And, uh, Mr. Cage is the creator of this, ep- uh, this segment. So we'll go ahead and let him start things out. Thank you, Kentucky guy. So, my pick this week was a little was a little uh, tough, but uh, after giving it some careful thought, I decided that my pick for this week was going to be Mr. Barry Windham. So, those of you who are not familiar with Barry Windham, he was a big, big star in professional wrestling throughout most of the 1980s and into the early 90s. He was a multiple-time world tag team champion. He was a tag team champion in the WWF as part of the U.S. Express with Mike Rotunda. He also was a tag team champion in the NWA and Jim Crockett Promotions with uh, Lex Luger. He was a member of the Four Horsemen. During that time, he held the uh, U.S. Heavyweight Championship. He was part of what was basically considered the best lineup of the Four Horsemen because uh, at the time, he also was in it with Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and Telly Blanchard. And uh, Barry Windham, for a long time, was one of those guys who was always near near the top of the card, but wasn't necessarily in the main event. And he finally got his shot at a main event uh, position in early 1993, because this was at a time before when Ric Flair was out of the company, and he actually ended up winning the NWA World Heavyweight title from the Great Muda. The Great Muda, another Japanese wrestling legend who's getting ready to retire, actually after a very illustrious career, but I digress. Barry Windham won the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, held the title from February to July of 1993, and who would he lose the title to? He lost it to the nature boy Ric Flair, his former Four Horsemen stablemate. Flair defeated him at Beach Blast, and unfortunately, Barry Windham was never really the same in his career after this. He, of course, continued to wrestle on and off for both WCW and the WWF throughout his, uh, rem- the remainder of his career, but he never reached his heights of success that he reached in 1993, and even in the late 80s when he was uh, with uh, WCW at that time. I just feel like he's one of those talents who, regardless of whether you booked him as a babyface or, or a heel, he always deserved to be up there in the top of the card because even if he doesn't didn't have the greatest look, he was an amazing worker. He could work with just about anybody. For a guy his size, he was so light on his feet and just was really a pleasure to watch in the ring and could cut some pretty good promos as well. And I definitely think they missed an opportunity 
in the late 80s, either when he, either before he joined the Four Horsemen or after he left the Four Horsemen. He could have been pushed very heavily then. When he went to the WWF briefly in 1989, he could have been pushed there. And instead, they gave him this lame gimmick where he was called the Widowmaker. And I think he only lasted a few months in WWE at that time. But yeah, he definitely was a major, major wasted opportunity and deserved more world title runs in his career than he ended up getting. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a pretty good choice. Um, I think that uh, maybe, just maybe, uh, that you know that whole family, uh, the the Wyndham family. I think until Bray Wyatt. Um, actually kind of got a raw deal in the WWE. And that, that's just my personal opinion. Um, IRS, I, I think that, uh, you know, which is Bray's father, I think that uh, they could have done things very different with him. Uh, I do think that uh, uh, Barry Windham, you know, I think it was a missed opportunity, uh, definitely a missed opportunity uh, for them not to not to include him uh, you know, in the more title picture, I guess you could say. But yeah, I, I thought it was good. Uh, I definitely, uh, I, I definitely think that that was a great pick. I, I would like to, I would like to see maybe, just maybe, him do something. Oh yeah, Bo Dallas as well, Ray's brother, uh, was a, you know, a star on NXT. And then when he comes to the main roster, you know, Bo leave. I mean, it, it just didn't go over. It just didn't work. Uh, and they gave up on him kind of quickly, in, in my opinion. Uh, but I would like to see something. Barry Windham has been on the tip of my tongue uh, ever since Bray Wyatt's been back. I just don't know if he is going to end up being Uncle Howdy or not. Have you thought about that at all? That was a rumor that I heard a while back. I think it's really all going to depend on Barry Windham's health in real life because I know he's had some serious health issues the last few years. In fact, I think he might have had some heart issues uh, as recently as two years ago. So it's all, that's all going to all going to depend on his uh, on, on how he's feeling. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a possibility they could always make him Uncle Howdy if it worked out that way. But I don't think that's their intention with the character. Yeah, it's going to be. I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, what actually happens there. But we will we won't get into that yet just yet because. Boy, there's so much to unpack in this episode. <laughs> uh, so my fantasy booking this week. Uh, by the way, that was a very good one, uh, Mr. Cage. Uh, my fantasy booking this week is a current superstar. Uh, and it's mainly about uh, how he was not used correctly in the WWE. There's my shock face. <laughs> so this wrestler, and he, this is still a young wrestler. He's an up-and-comer. But he did have... Uh, a lot of success before going to NXT and WWE. And with the current promotion that he's with now, they're, they haven't used him well. However, uh, he's getting ready to come back. Uh, and, and they're starting to show more and more signs. So my fantasy booking this week is Matthew Adams. Most of you will know him as Buddy Matthews or in AEW as Buddy Murphy. Or just Murphy. Now, so he's currently signed to All Elite Wrestling. 
uh, under Buddy Matthews, and he's a member of the stable of the House of Black. We all know that. Uh, and we know that the House of Black, there was rumors that he wanted to leave and go back to WWE, which I don't understand why he would, and we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But that once again, that was just rumors and uh, not true. If you watch the uh, uh, the uh, pay-per-view, the AEW pay-per-view, it actually had a uh, vignette showing Aleister Black on his way back, and it actually showed Brody Lee and Buddy Murphy. So, Buddy Matthews. So, during his time in NXT, let's talk about this. So, he formed a tag team with uh, Wesley Blake, and they actually won the NXT Tag Team Championship on one occasion. He was the first ever, and they made such a big deal out of this, once he won that championship in the WWE, he was the first ever Australian national uh, to win a championship there. In 2018, he was moved to the WWE's main roster. He also appeared on 205 Live. He actually won the Cruiserweight Championship later that year. Then he was moved to SmackDown in April. Now, pay attention to the dates. In April of 2019. And then moved to Raw in October of 2019. Where he then aligned himself with Seth Rollins. Leading to him and Seth, they actually won the uh, Tag Team Championship. Uh, at one time. However, he left the WWE in June of 2021 and started wrestling for New Japan Pro Wrestling and Major League Wrestling as Buddy Matthews. So, and he did go on, as we know, in February of this year to start working uh, for uh, Tony Khan and AEW Wrestling. Once again, AEW has not done this guy that many favors at all. But what I wanted to get to was the end of his career in the WWE. So here's a guy. He actually had a chance, or he actually won the NXT tag titles. Uh, he won the uh, Raw uh, titles when uh, he was with Seth Rollins, and Seth Rollins was like the Messiah of Monday Night Raw or what have you. And just so everybody knows us listening, before coming to NXT, he was the heavyweight champion, singles heavyweight champion, at three different promotions. And he was the cruiserweight champion at two different promotions, excluding excluding 205 Live. He was a cruiserweight champion there as well. And he was uh, also three-time tag champs at different promotions before coming to the NXT. So we have a champion, a world-renowned, a young, a young. I mean, this guy was... Uh, he was born in uh, 88, so he's still fairly young in the game. And we have this guy, and he they just, so he was involved in a storyline with high-profile names, including the Mysterios and Seth Rawlings when he was in WWE. So, you know, like I mentioned, he was involved in storylines with high-profile names, including Rey Mysterio, Seth Rollins, during his time in the WWE. However, he was often left off of WWE television for several months in a row without any type of explanation. He was supposed to have, uh, he's supposed to have been seeing uh, Rey Mysterio's daughter. I don't know if you, if many of you remember that. And they just dropped that. He recently, in an interview, he opened up about what he underwent emotionally, going as far as saying he felt like WWE, uh, 
they were rubbing his nose in it. So the former cruiserweight champion opened up about his frustrations with Sean Ross of uh, Fightful when he compared his situation to Alistair's Black. And this is a quote from him. And, and tell me if this doesn't make sense. When you're in that system, you break it down into ways that you can take a lot of that stuff personally. So I don't know how much I should say, but Alistair Black wasn't on television for a while. And he came back with his new character and his vignettes start, started playing. But he wasn't showing up at TV. He didn't have to be president, present at TV, Murphy said. So once my storyline with the Mysterios got dropped overnight without me being told, I was, uh, I was still showing up at television every week. I was there. So you have two guys in a similar position. One gets to stay home. And then I have to come in, and I felt like they were rubbing my nose in it. You love wrestling. You can't do it. All I wanted to do was perform. I wanted to contribute. I wanted to earn my paycheck. I wanted to do what I've honored for 15 years, uh, Murphy said. I, and I, I think that's just, uh, that shows the, it shows how poor uh, Bruce Pitt, Pritchard uh, Brother Love, a lot of you know him as, and Vince McMahon uh, were at the end. I mean, let's just be honest about it. These guys, I mean, you have a multi-champion, a guy, and he's built. I mean, he's 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 built. And he even mentioned in a podcast I was listening to that when he when he, when they allowed him to beat, and this is how he put it, when they allowed him to beat uh, Seth Rollins in a match, he knew that his career was over. Because they were aligning him with Rey Mysterio's daughter, somebody who wasn't about wrestling. She was just using that as a, as a jump start to another career. And that wasn't the way he wanted to go. Uh, one other thing I'd like to mention is Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which is a highly decorated uh, magazine, ranked him this year 33, number 33, out of the top 500 singles wrestlers so i think that's pretty that's pretty cool as well uh also cbs sports uh, uh last year and uh he won the breakthrough wrestler of the year and still wwe didn't know what to do with them i think it's a shame and uh i think if they play their cards right and AEW does the right thing by the house of black which i think they're going to this time watch out and watch what kind of name buddy murphy Buddy Matthews is going to be in the future. Your thoughts, sir? I think it's a really good pick for this week. Um, he was he was always very talented in the ring. Um, I don't think they allowed him the opportunity to speak enough for me to really comment on his promo cutting ability. But be that as it may, you had that whole storyline where he aligned where he aligned himself with Seth Rollins, and they were also aligned with the Authors of Pain at one point in time. If you remember, that was a whole stable on Monday Night Raw. And they were a pretty good team, I thought. And when they decided to break him away from Seth Rollins, I felt like they still could have done that, but they didn't have to do the whole storyline where he became romantically involved with Rey Mysterio's daughter. He could have just helped Rey Mysterio out, out of the goodness of his heart, because he was sick of being used basically by Seth Rollins as 
nothing more than more than a lackey. Um, so when they went with this angle instead, I remember I was thinking the same thing that you were, which was, oh yeah, um, his career is pretty much over now. They're not going to do anything with Murphy once this um, storyline wraps up. But if AEW actually books him and the rest of the House of Black, Brody King and Malachi Black and Julia Hart correctly, they could be a force to be reckoned with. I absolutely think they should be the team that um, holds the AEW Trios Tag Team Championship um, and holds it for quite a while. How dare you? How dare you? you? You were right there until you said that last part. The Elite are back. I, 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 I don't know what else to say. I, I, <laughs> while. Uh, well, well, I, I, well, hold on. I didn't, I didn't say the Elite shouldn't win it. I just said... I think the House of Black should be the team to unseat them eventually. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I mean, now I'm I'm not bad. Look, I I am a huge fan of Brody Lee, Alistair Black, and Buddy Murphy. Now, I'll grant you that I don't know a whole lot about uh, Brody uh, at all. Uh, I did watch him in Ring of Honor, and uh, and basically I know him because he's always teamed with Alistair Black. So, but he has impressed me. Uh, so far from what I've seen from him in AEW. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I like the vignettes that they're doing. They're showing them as a cohesive unit. Um, I think that uh, this is the one time where you can go back home and they can actually rebuild this faction since they all took time off together. Nobody was doing their own thing, at least not on AEW. And, uh, you know, maybe rebuild it and maybe, just maybe, they should have done that with a group called Judgment Day over on the other side of the aisle. Just just my opinion. Uh, but I will say one thing. Dominique Mysterio is a much better heel. <laughs> and he is, uh, every week that kid gets better. Uh, and I'm very surprised to hear myself saying that because I was not a fan at all. So let's talk about Full Gear. Let's move right into the heart of the matter. Uh, Full gear, the pre-show match was the best friends uh, versus the factory. The best friends, uh, Cassidy, Ramiro, Anhausen, they defeated the factory. They were the winners. I don't really care about this match or why it ever happened. I'm not a fan of either group. So I will turn it over to you. I mean, my whole problem with this match is that if you're going to make the best friends stay relevant in some way, um, you need to put them against a group that are also relevant. And, okay, the factory, they appear on TV every once in a while. But other than QT Marshall, I can't actually name a single member of the factory. So why should I care about their match against the best friends? This was a uh, this was a bathroom break, as far as I'm concerned, or a uh, trip to the concession stand. This match did not even. Good thing it was the pre-show, because if this would have been a pay-per-view match, I would have just yeah, I I, I would have just switched to another channel while this match was on, and then uh, gotten back to the real show. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even watch the match. I uh, this match or the Kingston match, the pre-show, I I just didn't even watch it. Which brings us to our next match: Eddie Kingston versus June. I some something anyways uh they actually let kingston actually defeated this guy uh i I just don't understand why they bring these guys in from these other companies 
just to get beat by their jobbers, a guy like Eddie Kingston. Uh, he's never going to have a title. He's never going to mount anything. Uh, he doesn't even look like a professional wrestler. I, I just I don't understand the uh, why people like him. I, I don't get it why Tony Khan is obsessed with this guy. Your thoughts? When I think of Eddie Kingston, I think back to that old uh, Twisted Sister music video for uh, We're Not Gonna Take It. What do you want to do with your life? Uh, yeah. Um, June, uh, and I believe it's called, his name is pronounced Akiyama, um, I think has a long-standing rivalry with Eddie Kingston. I'm assuming in New Japan. I don't know that for a fact because I didn't follow either of these wrestlers prior to them being in AEW. So again, maybe if I followed one or both of these wrestlers, I would have cared about this match. But once again, yeah, this was pre-show. And I I mean, personally, I would have even booked it to have the Japanese wrestler go over because I'm just not an Eddie Kingston fan. Yeah, I agree. And uh, they kept announcing that uh, this was a dream match for Eddie Kingston, which I I found kind of odd. Uh, If they have history, that means that they've fought before. So. I don't know. I, I like. I, I don't know this gentleman either. Just, just wasn't interested. Full gear world title eliminator tournament semifinal. This was actually a decent match. Ricky Starks versus uh, Brian Cage. I think it was a, a good match to start, kind of start things off. Uh, finally, uh, two competitors that we can uh, actually that are actually going to go somewhere uh, one day. Uh, Starks did defeat Cage, which I thought was pretty amazing. I. I like Ricky Starks. I think he's an up-and-comer. I don't think that he's going to win a world title anytime soon. However, I'm, I just don't know why Brian Cage is forced to keep putting people over. They're, I think they're going to get in. They're going to get to at least he's showing up on television more. But, uh, man, this guy, he's put a lot of people over that. And on paper, you would have thought that he would have handled easily. So, I don't know. Your thought? Uh, also, I also like Ricky Starks, and in the grand scheme of things, him going over here, probably not that big of a deal because, again, I don't think he's going to win a world title. Um, Brian Cage, they just need to start pushing in a different way, you know, constantly throwing him into these battle royals or these ladder matches or these ter- eliminator tournament matches. It's a waste of his talent. It's like, all right, put him in one of the Ring of Honor title pictures or put him back in the TNT title hunt. Do do something of significance with him. I mean, he's a former Impact World Champ and former Impact um, X Division Champ. He was the FTW Champ for a while when he first came into AEW. Pretty much ever since I lo- he lost that belt, he's been irrelevant. He's getting a little bit more TV time, but you need to do something more significant with the machine, in my opinion. It's reminding me of uh, when he was with uh, WWE for that short stint. That's exactly what it's reminding me of. Uh, just, uh, I, how can you not, if you've got somebody that's got all the tools, how can you not have something for them to do or somewhere to go? Then a, another match, uh, very, this was a, uh, I thought a very good match as well. I was actually surprised. Um, Jungle Boy versus Luchasaurus. Luchasaurus, he, he surprised me. He was, uh, he, he was a lot better than this in this match. Uh, he showed a lot more aggressive aggressiveness. It looks like that he has been under, uh, uh, he has been tutored some. It actually shows now by Christian Cage. I thought that he was a lost cause, but actually did all right in this match. You could tell that it was personal. Christian Cage was escorted uh, away from ringside after he opened the cage door. Uh, Jungle Boy was busted open. 
The only thing I did not like about this match was the ending. Jungle Boy, eh, I mean, he's one of them guys I can take him or leave him, but he has not built the reputation of being the guy who can be bloodied up, uh, be tortured, be used as a ramrod into a steel cage over and over, and still come out on top. I didn't care too much for that because I just, maybe one day, but I just don't think he's there yet. But uh, that's just my opinion. Your thoughts? It's a good way to open the show and get the crowd hot. And as I've said before, I think they, I think they're investing a lot in the Jungle Boy. I think that they think Jack Perry is one of their uh, future stars. Not saying again that he's going to be a world champ, but I think they see he's a future star. So they got to give him a big win on a stage like this. And what better way than to beat his former tag team partner? Now, truth be told, and and I think you've said this on other episodes, Kentucky guy. Correct me if I'm wrong. As great as Luchasaurus looked here. And as much as he hung with Jungle Boy and showed that he's learned a thing or two in the ring, I still say he's going to be irrelevant in a few months because you've got too many other monsters in uh, AEW right now that overshadow him on a, on a regular basis. So not, not to say that I want him to be released, but I, I don't think Luchasaurus is going to be very relevant in the next couple of months. Oh, you're, he's gone. I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, I've said that. Quite a bit. He he is gone. The only way, the only way I see him at uh maybe sticking around a little bit longer is forming an actual tag team with Christian Cage once he takes the cast off. Uh but if you don't put him with somebody like that, he'll never make it as a singles competitor. He does he can't do promos. And uh he's got a lot to learn. He should be in like a a, a development ring of honor. Uh-huh. That's where he should be. Uh let's see here. Then we had the trio by the way. This was so cool. We'll go to Rampage real quick. So the night before on Rampage, the uh, Death Triangle win their match uh, versus the Martin brothers and uh, the other guy. I don't know. It was his debut. But anyways, uh, they looked pretty good, the Martin brothers and uh, this guy. But the Death Triangle, Pack takes the microphone and he goes, you don't think we've seen the vignettes? We don't know what's happening. And he calls out, the elite and right after that promo is done it's official on the screen for the trios championship the elite versus death triangle and i tell you what man I, I i hate how this match ended but you cannot walk away there's two things that made me smile in this match like and i and you i don't know if i've ever said that before on this podcast there's two things that made me actually smile the first thing was the elite's entrance to the music Kansas. <laughs> I, thought, I don't know how much Tony Khan had to pay them uh, for the elites to be able to use that song, <laughs> but I thought that was great. The second thing was what the crowd started chanting when the elites came out about CM Punk. Holy cow, that caught me off guard. Tony Khan did do the right thing. This is going to become, that was one match. It's going to be best out of seven because, of course, the Death Triangle cheated. That's the only way that they could have beat the Elites. But how can you not love the Elites' entrance uh, to this pay-per-view? Your thoughts? I mean, the only way you could not like the entrance is if you're not a fan of 70s arena rock, which I am a fan of 70s arena rock, so I thought it was pretty cool. Um, Yeah, you know, Death Triangle, uh, they were kind of sneaky with this victory. 
but it is a best of seven series. So there's a, there's a lot more competition to go. And, and if there's one thing we know, it's that these six guys are some of the best workers, if not the best workers in AEW. And they're going to put on a spectacle every time they step in the ring. So uh, this is going to be an exciting best of seven series. I just hope that between the six of them that they can mix things up and that every match doesn't consist of a thousand super kicks and Canadian destroyers. That's my only worry. But um, otherwise, this was good stuff and a great way to bring the elite back into the fold. Yeah. Did you catch the crowd chanting uh, what I was talking about there? Yeah, I, I, I was I was kind of trying not to mention his name, but uh, it was pretty uh, impossible to uh, ignore. The crowd was very vocal in their opinion about the former AEW world champ. Yeah, I thought it was, uh, <laughs> it just, I mean, it caught me off. I mean, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. That's not language that I use, but it caught me off guard. <laughs> it caught me off guard and I was like, wow, you know, so, but, uh, I, and I actually did smile when they started chanting because I'm like, you know, this kind of proves that the right people, at least the words getting out of who was actually right in that situation. So, but needless to say, that triangle did win. Finally, Pac got his partner to use the uh, bell hammer. And, uh, you know, it's sad that it, it such a great match ended that way. But, you know, it is what it is. They did the right thing. They're going to make it a best out of seven now. Then we had the TBS championship match. Uh, Jade Cardhill versus Nyla Rose. And Cardhill defeated Nyla Rose to retain her title and actually got her title and got out of the ring in the arena with it. So this match here, I, I kind of knew which way it was going to go. There was no uh, there was no shock to me at all. I will say in the uh, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus match and the Death Triangle versus Elite match, there were times that I didn't know who was going to win because I thought there was going to be actual pinfalls uh, and they were going to count. Never had that. Uh, exhilaration or thought in this uh, championship match between these uh, this woman and this man. So, but uh, Cargill, she's got her title back and uh, still undefeated. Your thoughts? I do. I agree with you. I think it was a foregone conclusion. But when you've got someone in the ring who has the uh, the power and the tenacity and the agility and just is the whole package like Jade Cargill. I mean, it's, come on, man. I mean, it's a far, it's a foregone conclusion, regardless of who she faces. I mean, I mean, who else does AEW have to challenge her for the TBS championship at this point? They, they don't. The only person, and I don't see them, Tony Khan, allowing it to happen, the only person I can even think of that could come there right now and give her a true challenge is the uh, Impact Knockouts champion. Uh, because she is, uh, she's a rock as well. Cannot think of her name, <laughs> but that's the only person I can think of uh, that may uh, that may be able to take her out. But Tony Khan would never let that happen. Uh, we have the uh, Fatal Four Way for the Ring of Honor World Championship match. It was uh, Jericho versus Sammy Guevara versus uh, Brian Danielson and uh, Cesaro, whatever his name is on there. Anyways, Jericho, of course, the GOAT, uh, he, he won the match. A couple interesting takeaways. I'm just wondering, and I know that after the match, Jericho's promo, he said that, uh, you know, he expected uh, Sammy to do that, and he was proud of him. 
it's hard once you go that route against your uh, tag team partner or your mentor or what have you to come back from something like that, especially Sammy is still at a very young age uh, when it comes to wrestling. And I seen a look that he gave Jericho, like a, a disbelieving look when they announced Jericho won the title or won the match. So I'm just interested. I, I, I'm kind of curious because Sammy's always been there no matter what. Yes, he quit uh, the circle, but he didn't quit Jericho. Uh, he just walked away because he was tired of, uh, tired of all the arguing and what have you. He's always been Jericho's guy ever since day one. So I'm just curious to see how that might play out. Uh, your thoughts? Chris Jericho is one of the greatest wrestlers to ever lace up his boots. He's been a champion every promotion he's worked for over the years. He's the Ring of Honor world champion now. He's been a great friend and mentor to Sammy Guevara, regardless of that dejected look that was on Sammy's face at the end of the match. He knows that he is nothing without Chris Jericho and that Chris Jericho is helping to guide his career. So regardless of the outcome of the match, their bond is going to continue to be strong. The Jericho Appreciation Society is going to continue to flourish. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like something I would say, so I'm down with that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that, uh, <clears throat> uh, I, I mean, now, Sammy Guevara's <laughs> he, he was a pretty big name before he ever came to AEW, but uh, yeah, you know, since uh, since being with Jericho, absolutely. It, it has promoted his uh, singles career quite a bit. And then we have, uh, and here's somebody, this is the match where uh, I just felt like, just kicking over the television, right? So we had Sierra versus Dr. Britt Baker, all right? How many more, how many more people does Britt Baker have to put over? So Sierra won, Paige, whatever you want to call her. She wins the match. First match in five years, and she beats somebody like Britt Baker. Makes zero sense to me. Zero sense. But... How like what did Doctor Britt Baker? What did she do? What well, how did she get on Tony's crap list? And how many more people does she have to put over before uh, she actually gets back to where her predominant career was? Your thoughts? Listen, Doctor Britt Baker is still a great worker. She's still in a prominent position in the women's division. Oh, she put over Soraya. Boo hoo. Soraya's been gone for five years from active competition. She needed this win on the big stage. It was a good match. Both of them worked well together. I am sure that Dr. Britt Baker will avenge her loss at some point. Soraya needed this moment. She needed it on this pay-per-view stage. It's a great moment for her. Feel-good moment. Britt Baker made her look amazing, so she did her job. But Soraya, the right person, won this match, in my opinion. No way. No way. I disagree. Uh, it's First of all, there's something called ring rust. And if she would have lost the match, that's all they would have put it, put it up to was ring rust. Five years. Five years without being in the ring. And you're telling me she needed this match? She needed this win? Really? By beating the longest reigning AEW Women's Champion, it automatically legitimizes her. And makes people take her seriously again. Like, hey, she's back. She's at the top of her game. She's going to do even better than she did in her previous run in WWE. 
But this is not going to hurt Britt Baker in the long run. She will bounce back somehow, some way. Let me ask you a question in in, in all honesty. How do you think she actually looked during the match? Based on what I saw out of the match, I thought she looked pretty good, all things considered. I mean, this is, like you said, five years of ring rust. Not five months of ring rust, five years of ring rust. So it's it's a long time. But... I mean, I, I mean, I saw the highlights of when she hit, you know, her DDTs as an example, and those looked really good. There was that point in the match where they were on the outside. She hoisted Britt Baker up on her shoulders and dropped her on the apron. That all looked good. Uh, you know, I was, I was not disappointed with her first in-ring performance in an actual match uh, in five years. Yeah, my opinion is maybe go watch the entire match because she looked very clunky, very clunky. Yeah, the highlights are going to show decent but i thought she looked clunky so then we have uh the tnt championship match uh warlow versus is a triple threat warlow versus samoa joe versus powerhouse hobbs <laughs> samoa joe is your new tnt champion uh yes he won the match and he is now the ring of honor television champion and the tnt champion i have no idea why I, I really don't, uh, you know, you have a guy, if I agree with taking the title away from this Warlow doofus, but you have powerhouse Hobbs there. Don't know why he wouldn't be the one to walk out of there with the title. Joe's got a title that he really doesn't deserve. So I don't know your thoughts. Once again, I got to say that the right guy won this match, the Simone submission machine coming through. Like I knew he would. Now he's a dual champion he joins the lineage of other Samoan wrestlers who are dual champions currently, namely in the WWE. I'm talking about Roman Reigns and the Usos. Joe has always been a great worker. He still is a great worker. He may not be in his prime before, but even a Samoa Joe that is not in his prime still looks great and can still rack up championships. So huge, huge props for uh, Samoa Joe here. Powerhouse Hobbs, just a comment on him. I think he looked good in the match. I think he's gonna. He still has a bright future. He's gonna win a title at some point, but he's young. Still needs time to develop. Huh. Interesting, interesting. And the only reason why I say that is because on the last episode you were uh, downing Joe for turning his back on Warlow. So interesting. Okay. Uh, the next match was a no disqualification, no countout match. Sting versus Dar- Sting and Darby Allen versus Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. Now. Sting and uh, Allen defeated Jared and Lethal. Here, here's my problem with this. You're going to bring in an icon, a legend, Jeff Jarrett. You're going to bring him in out of nowhere into this storyline that he didn't need. He didn't need this. Jeff Jarrett's not broke. He's got the stroke, man. He's got the podcast I, that I listen to all the time, My World. He, he didn't have to. You bring him in to lose. You bring him in to lose his first match into your promotion. Makes zero sense to me. Zero sense. Your thoughts? I have some mixed emotions about this one because in one breath, while it was fun to see Jarrett compete in the match, and I think when you when you have a no disqualification match like this that involves a lot of brawling, it um, it helps protect the older guys like Jarrett and like Sting. But, yeah, you know, I do agree. You bring him back and he loses his first match. Kind of defeats the purpose of having him. But at the same time, I guess because of the fact that 
that that group has been beating up Sting and Darby Allen a lot lately. They wanted to have, excuse me, Sting and Darby get their heat back. This could have gone either way. Um, I don't see this really being a long, long-term feud. I, I mean, like, where can you take it from here? You going to put them in a steel cage match next? I mean, or or do one of those uh, pre-recorded cinematic matches? I don't, I, I don't know. But uh, I actually feel like this is a match that could have just been saved for like an episode of Dynamite. It didn't need to be on full gear. The only cool thing, and I'll let you comment on this. The only cool thing I seen out of this entire match was that big Indian guy. Whoa, he's going to be, he's an up and comer. If they keep portraying him like this beast uh, that he is, wow. Uh, he, that was pretty amazing, him catching Darby Allen out of the air like that. And a couple of things that he done was just uh, was just something else. What did you think about his appearance in the match? I thought that was a cool spot uh, where where Darby Allen jumped off the ladder and he caught him and then threw him onto the rampway. Lots of power. But then again, when you only weigh like a buck seventy, it's easy to toss a guy that big to toss Darby Allen onto the ramp. But no, nonetheless, it was a cool spot. Um, I don't want to jump to conclusions and say, oh yeah, Satnam Singh is going to be the next big thing in professional wrestling. I, I think he's still got a long way to go, but hopefully he'll, hopefully when he gets better, he'll perform more along the lines of like an Omos or a Braun Strowman and not like a great Kali or Giant Gonzalez. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he also caught Jay Lethal, uh, in the air as well and saved him. So. I just I just thought it was uh, what a way to introduce him because I really didn't know him in his wrestling abilities or anything like that until this you know what little bit he did get involved in this match so uh, but I'm like you I don't think this uh, feud is going to uh, in my opinion it should be over with now let's move on I don't know what they're going to do with Jeff Jarrett I don't know if he was just brought in for that I know one thing uh, Jay Lethal is too good to be held down. And, I, and I'm very, I just don't understand why he's staying with that company. Uh, he has had so much success everywhere he's went. And uh, AEW just, I know they have a lot of talent, but you just can't keep using these great talents to put over uh, your who you feel is your up-and-comers. You know, the Jay Lethal's not an old wrestler. Uh, he's been doing it a long time, but he's not old. And he's still got a lot of, lot of, lot left in the tank, I believe. Then we have, oh, you, you, you'll you like this one, uh, the A&W Interim uh, World's Women Championship match, uh, Tony Storm versus Jamie Hayter. Uh, Jay, Jamie Hayter is your new uh, Interim World Women's Champion match. Now, during the uh, post-match media scrum, uh, Tony Khan was asked about the title being called A&W Interim World Women's Championship, blah, 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 and... He did make a statement that uh, Nyla Rose may not come back. It is possible she may not come back and, uh, you know, try to uh, earn her title back. So that'll be interesting. I really did enjoy uh, Jamie Hayter winning this match. Um, I think it's time, past time. Um, I like that. I actually like the turn of events where Britt Baker kept saying that it's Jamie's time. And uh, that, that match is going to happen, though. Don't worry, folks. That match is going to happen. And also, Jamie Hayter was asked about uh, defending the title against uh, Dr. Britt Baker. And she talked like she'd love to, you know, talk like, you know, there wouldn't be 
any issues with them being uh, friends afterwards or what have you. And, uh, you know, they're adults and professionals. Now, that's her saying that. That's not the doctor saying that. But anyways, uh, I know this is your girl. But she's got the title, brother. It's all yours. Well, congratulations to her. Definitely a well-earned victory. She had a good match with Tony Storm. And I think this is, this is good. It'll shake things up in the AEW women's title scene. I, I do think she's on a crash course to eventually face her friend and potential rival, Dr. Britt Baker. And Kentucky guy, you never know. You might get your wish. Dr. Britt Baker might reclaim what was once hers and defeat Jamie Hayter. Uh, or Jamie Hayter could prove that she's here to stay as AEW interim, right now interim women's champion, but hopefully it'll just be the AEW women's championship in the near future. I mean, I personally feel like Thunder Rose has been off TV for far too long now for people to really get behind her again when she comes back. Just my opinion. I mean, I'm sorry, Thunder Rosa fans out there, but you know, when you when you get injured uh, soon after you become champion and you're off TV for months at a time, it's it's hard to really get behind you unless they've been doing something to make the fans get invested. Like Thunder Rosa hasn't even been appearing on TV to cut promos or do interviews or anything. She's just been off television period. Well, she has uh if if you dig a little bit deeper into that, it's it's uh Thunder Rosa has personal issues and gripes versus the company and the TV time that she was getting as champion, which I don't understand at all. So it's it's not just the health concerns. From my understanding, now I could be completely off on this, but from my understanding, not all just injuries and, and what have you, uh she has chosen uh not to be a part of it. And I don't blame Tony Khan. You know, it, it comes a time when you just got to man up. And uh, I, I think that uh, I think you just just forget it. Take that interim part of the title uh, off the actual name of the title that uh, Jamie Hader has. And she's the women's champion, in my opinion. Uh, then we have the AEW World Tag Team Championship match. Uh, the Acclaim versus Swerve in Our Glory. The Acclaim defeated Swerve in Our Glory to retain. But Strickland, Swerve Strickland, he lost his patience during the match uh, with his tag team partner, and he slapped the big guy. The limitless one walked out on his partner, leaving him to defend, uh, defend for himself, basically. I always told you guys that fat piece of crap uh, was worthless, and now you guys see it. So finally, though, Maybe Swerve will get away, start doing his singles thing, and actually do something uh, worthwhile. I can't believe that the Acclaim is still the tag team champions. However, they're going to lose that soon to FTR. I think that Swerve in our glory is over with once and for all. And I'd actually like to see Swerve uh, take out the Liminous or whatever the crap his name is. One, take him out and let everybody see what truly kind of person and horrible wrestler Keith Lee is. Your thoughts? Well, uh, Keith Lee, congratulations, my friend, because uh, this partnership with Swerve was just, it was busting at the seams. I mean, it looked like you guys had some good chemistry early on, but Swerve wanted to try to cheat and use his own uh, sneaky ways to win matches, which you are not about, my, my friend. You are the limitless one. And part of being the limitless one is you want to win matches fair and square. 
and show why you have no limits in the ring. And, uh, and I was happy to see Keith Lee finally walk out on Swerve. Uh, you know, as much talent as Swerve has, you know, you just, you just, I, I said it before, you don't slap, you don't slap big Keith, Keith Lee across the face. You just don't do that because he'll walk out on you. I'm actually surprised he didn't, uh, pick Swerve up and hit him with the spirit bomb or something when that happened. Um, so yeah, this partnership is over, unfortunately. And, uh, yeah, they'll uh, go their separate ways and, you know, and maybe, uh, maybe Keith Lee will, uh, will get into the title picture either for the TNT title or the all Atlantic championship after this. I know you're not a Keith Lee fan, um, Kentucky guy, but that's what I do with him. Oh my God. You would put him in a singles title uh, run. <laughs> How about we just uh, put him out the pasture and let him go away? So let's get into the main event, the match that everybody's talking about. The one that actually even shocked me, the ending did, on how it ended. And that was the AEW World Championship match, John Moxley versus MJF. So this match I thought was great. I thought it was great for a couple reasons. The first reason was I thought that they're they're so different in their wrestling styles. You have the come at me, come straight at you, hard hitting, uh, knuckle buster, John Moxley, uh, throw caution to the wind, and then you have MJF, who is your more Ric Flair, uh, Telly Blanchard, older style, true blue wrestler. Got it all, all the tools. Now, MJF is, and I'm so happy to say this, is the new AEW world champ, okay? But the match the way it ended may surprise you if you haven't watched it yet. So MJF pulls, this is right at the end, pulls Bryce uh, Remsburg, who's the referee, into the pathway of Moxley. And Moxley knocks him out. And then he pulls out the ring, the dynamite diamond ring. If you remember, uh, MJF's been saying now for quite a while that he's going to do this fairly. He's going to, you know, win it the right way and what have you. You guys should have known. You should have known that was a work. This is MJF we're talking about. And if you got your butt hurt that he didn't do it that way, then good for you. I'm glad your butt hurt because that's not the MJF that I like or that I follow. So he pulls out the dynamite diamond ring. But at the demand and argument of William Regal, he tossed it away. Fine. I don't need it. He throws it. So now another referee, uh, Paul Turner, I believe is his name, uh, he runs in, and he ends up getting bumped too between Moxley and uh, uh, MJF. Then William Regal, the leader of the combat club, John Moxley's uh, manager, what have you, slides MJF. The old brass knuckle and MJF uses them, puts them in his trunk and pins Moxley for the win. And William Regal doesn't get in the ring like you would think and raise my, uh, MJF's hand or uh, anything. He just walks out of the arena backwards and gives a little smile like a little attaboy to MJF. So we really don't know what the relationship is there if it was a one-time thing because Regal turned him away in the way he treated him when he was younger. I do know I watched episodes and clips of after uh, the match was over and they went off the air and the combat club, Cesario, 
uh, Danielson and uh, Ruta, uh, Wheeler, they uh, they all came out to the ring to console John Moxley and tell him what happened. And you can tell that the entire club was ticked off at William Regal at the events that happened. There's only been one person out of the entire group that has said anything on social media, and that was Wheeler Yuta, and he said uh, a bad word, snake. And I'm sure he was talking about, because he acted more upset than all the other members when they're out there consoling John Moxley. So I'm sure that the, uh, the combat club's over with. Good riddance. I buy trash. I'm very curious to see what happens with William Regal and MJF. Now, here's the thing. On the post-media scrum, after the match, after the pay-per-view, MJF comes out there, and he goes and he cusses out the media, like lays into them. Uh, he doesn't even sit down, and he tells them, if you want to know what's happening, tune into my show on Dynamite on Wednesdays. He leaves, which I thought was brilliant. So I know that's a whole lot in one match to unpack, my friend, but uh, yeah, I'll pass the ball to you. Well, MJF showed his true colors, and I was not shocked that he uh, used some sort of foreign object to win this match against John Moxley. I, I know most people were shocked at what William Regal did, but if you look at William Regal's history in professional wrestling, when has William Regal been his best? He's been his best when he's been a heel conniving heel and that's what he did here this was him turning his back on john moxley and throwing the brass knuckles in the ring which were his signature weapons remember the power of the punch when he was an active wrestler gave those to mjf and this doesn't necessarily mean they're going to become a become a pair like he's going to manage mjf because mjf one thing he does not need is a mouthpiece he can cut his own promos he does not need someone to do that for him. This might be a case where William Regal disappears from television for a little while with no explanation, or maybe they'll do one of those sit-down interviews where he explains his actions. I do kind of agree with you that I think this is the beginning of the end for the Blackpool Combat Club. I think even if they don't necessarily break up right away, that over the next several weeks we're going to see them just imploding from within which is about time because I think all four guys are better off on their own than as a uh, as part of another stable. MJF, as much as I've criticized him in the past, they've been building him up to become champion for a long time now, and it would have been huge disappointment if he didn't actually pull it off this time. Now, as far as can he ride this wave of momentum, time will tell. Because it's one thing to become champion, but it's another thing to be to be champion for a long time and to hold on to that title and to still hold people's interest. He calls Dynamite his show. Well, now we, we need to see if he can live up to that and really make the show about him. Did you notice the crowd uh, chanting his name and not John Moxley? I was, uh, you know, and I'm like, he's not going to he's not a baby face. He's not going to turn baby face, but the, he, he remind I tell you who he reminds me of. He reminds me of Kevin Owens, whether he's a baby face or a heel, the crowd still loves him. And that's a true, that's a true professional because making people care either way. So 
Ric Flair was the same way in his prime. I mean, he was a heel for most of his career, but a large section of the crowd still cheered for him because he was so great at his craft. He was one of the best in the business. Uh, so that's that's the crowd showing respect to MJF. Um, it doesn't mean we necessarily like the way you go about winning, but we're still going to respect you for the fact that you're true to your character. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I guess, uh, I guess you could say that. Uh, anyways, I, I didn't expect William Regal to do what he did. Uh, as far as uh, expecting like MJF to use uh, like something uh, like his ring or brass knuckles or something of that nature. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, actually, I would have been probably disappointed if he did. Uh, but will you, the William Regal aspect, uh, I didn't see that coming at all. And, and I know you said that, you know, when has William Regal been his best that, you know, he's, he was a heel. But did you see that coming, like, at, at all? A part of me did, yes. Because, uh, because of William Regal's history. He's turned his back on people in the past. So I, 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 I thought to myself, I know he's taken on this role, this elder statesman, but it's, it's still William Regal at the end of the day. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't see it. So, uh, and I'm usually, I usually catch stuff like that, but I didn't, I didn't see that at all. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it makes an interesting storyline and I have to say overall, uh, I would give this uh, pay-per-view a B plus, uh, I, they, it was long. Uh, there are a lot of matches, a lot of weird endings, uh, in, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, compared to some of the other uh, pay-per-views that, are, that were out there this weekend, uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't bad at all. Now, I will have to say Impact, uh, they had a great, not a great, they had a good uh, pay-per-view this weekend as well. Uh, I know we don't talk a, lot, a whole lot about that on this show, but, uh, you know, Josh Alexander, uh, not so much the ma- him and uh, Frankie uh, Kazarian, they had a they had a good match uh, for the uh, Impact World Title. However, uh, the, the after the match is what uh, what I really enjoyed. Uh, Bubba Ray came out, showed his true colors, and actually threatened uh, Josh Alexander's wife, uh, which we've seen that coming. Anybody that's followed Bubba Ray's career, so but uh, yeah, I thought that they actually had a decent pay per view themselves. But uh, yeah, I gave uh, I gave a AEW uh, uh, yeah full gear. I'd give them a B for this year. What do you think? Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with that. I think they put on a good show overall. Again, I think a couple of matches truthfully could have been cut or saved for an episode of uh, Dynamite. But uh, overall, the matches that re- that made the biggest impact on the audience, I think, really delivered. Yep, and if they just would have had. A couple more of those, they could have possibly became an A. But yeah, you're absolutely right. So let's move on to the pay-per-view that everybody's talking about that's coming up this Saturday. And we'll go ahead and make our Survivor Series uh, 2022 match card predictions. Now, there may be matches added to this. And if there are, luckily, uh, we're going to be doing the live shoot uh, during Survivor Series War Games. And we have a... uh, an episode the day before on Friday as well. So if they add any matches, we'll, uh, we'll we'll plug them in. But right now, here's what we've got. So we have the uh, female War Games match, which is Bianca Belair, Alexa Bliss, uh, Asuka, 
uh, and Maya Yim. And they're going against Damage Control, Bailey, Dakota K, uh, Dakota Kai, uh, Io Sky, Nikki Cross, and Rhea Ripley. Uh, I am going to pick Damage Control, especially now that they have the uh, juggernaut Rhea Ripley uh, in the mix. Uh, your prediction, sir? I'm actually going to agree with you on this one because I personally am predicting, regardless of who the final member of Bianca Belair's team ends up being, I think this is going to be the night that Alexa Bliss turns heel. And, you know, whether she goes back into her uh, spooky gimmick or does something else entirely, I could see her walking out on her team either due to a miscommunication or something else. So I think damage control, team damage control is going to win this. Yep, yep. Uh, and then we have the men's uh, war games match. The bloodline, Roman Reigns, Solo, Sami uh, Zayn, uh, Jimmy and Jay Uso versus the Brawling Brutes with the Sheamus, Ridge Holland and Butch, Drew McIntyre, and Kevin Owens. Uh, boy, oh boy, I seen that coming. Uh, but I am still to everybody's shock and awe. I still don't think this is the pay per view or the match where Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens team up against the Bloodline. I, I don't think I don't think it happens yet. So I'm going to pick the Bloodline to win this match. Your thoughts, sir? I'm actually going to shock you with my prediction, uh, Kentucky guy. I am also going to go with the Bloodline. I don't think this is the pay-per-view where it's all going to come crashing down just yet. I think we're close. I think we're close. I think something uh, at this paper uh, during this match uh, will play a hand in it for later. Uh, for the you know somebody Kevin Owens gets hurt. So, I don't know something. And yeah, and if you noticed on SmackDown. It was kind of odd when Roman Reigns first cleared the ring before Kevin Owens came out there. He was walking over to Sami Zayn, who was laying down on the mat, hurt, uh, and kind of shaking his head. And that's kind of the first, that's like the first time I've ever noticed any uh, disdain from Roman Reigns to Sami Zayn. So they're definitely building something. Did you did you catch that? It was subtle, but I noticed it. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, it would be interesting. And then, of course, Sami Zayn, uh, you know, threw himself in harm's way to try to get back in the good graces uh, of Roman Reigns. So, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, in that subtle stuff, that's that's kind of what I look for because usually uh, I've noticed in Triple H's WWE, uh, that's how he tells a story, which is kind of cool. Uh, then we have Ronda Rousey uh, versus Shotzi for the uh, WWE SmackDown Women's title. I, I, I mean, I have Ronda Rousey. I, I don't think Shotzi has a prayer. Uh, and then I'll go over the next one, and then you give me uh, your prediction for both. Uh, then the last one so far, AJ Styles versus Finn Balor. And uh, I just don't see why AJ Styles, I love him as a wrestler, but why he needs to win this match. Finn Balor needs this match more. It continued the upbuild of uh, the Judgment Day. So I'm going to pick uh, Finn Balor on this one. Ronda Rousey on the first one. Uh, your prediction, sir? I agree with the Ronda Rousey prediction. Um, uh, Shotzi is just a, is just a stopgap um, 
for uh, Ronda Rousey. She's going to steamroll over her. She'll probably put up a fight, but I don't uh, think that she's going to be a real challenge for Ronda Rousey. So Ronda's going to retain here. I actually am going to predict an AJ Styles uh, victory in the match against Finn Balor. Because it's a singles match and because there aren't any bigger stakes in this contest, I don't think a major loss is going to hurt Judgment Day that much. I think they're going to bounce back very quickly. So I'm going to actually go with the phenomenal one on this match. All right, gotcha. And like I said, folks, we will update this match card because I'm sure there's going to be at least one or two more matches added. Uh, We will update this match card uh, as soon as they update it. And, you know, just like Raw tonight, uh, let's go ahead and, uh, oh, you know what? The only thing they have announced for the match card tonight is Rhea Ripley uh, is taking on Asuka in a War Games Advantage match where the winner secures the advantage for their team in the upcoming match this weekend. Oh, the 20-minute, the or the, yeah, the 20-minute uh, time limit. But it is we're sure to find out Bianca Belair's fifth member who hasn't been revealed, AKA Becky Lynch. It's just, just, just my thoughts. Uh, it's hard to imagine Seth Rollins is not going to be in this major pay-per-view. So we're likely to get in, uh, we're likely to get a match between him, uh, for the U S title, defending it at the pay-per-view against who? I don't know. I know that Austin theory lost his mind, uh, last week and attack Steph Rollins after his match. And uh, actually, uh, uh, he actually looked pretty decent. It was, what a comeback. Uh, after losing your money in the bank and then uh, attacking, and attacking also uh, Dolph Ziggler during their match. So he, he looks a lot stronger, and he I think he kind of needed that after uh, what happened, you know, the week before. Your thoughts? Austin Theory cut what I thought was probably the best promo of his career last week. And the fact that they decided, hey, he's not just going to be the smiley selfie guy anymore, but he's going to show that he has a little bit of a a malicious side to him. That's what you need in an up-and-coming heel in the business. They can do their whole arrogant, pompous, I'm going to take a selfie routine, but they've got to be able to turn on the serious switch every now and then. And that's what Austin Theory did last week. So if they can continue to alternate between the two sides of him from time to time, he may bounce back very quickly from this money in the bank title opportunity loss. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, well, he had the crowds livid when he attacks. So Seth Rollins is a baby face right now. Uh, folks, there's, there's no argument whatsoever about that. Uh, he's one of those guys, if he's a baby face or a heel, uh, the crowd, I mean, they're right there with them. But he is, they have officially turned him babyface. So, uh, and then real quick, uh, I know we're out of time. Let's go over the AEW uh, Dynamite match card uh, for this week. Chris Jericho defends his title against Kamorho uh, Ishai, which is a uh, former rival of his uh, from New Japan Wrestling. Uh, I think that'll be a decent match. Uh, I, I don't know why they keep bringing these guys over from New Japan just to lose. Uh, Ethan Page versus Ricky Starks for the AEW title tournament Eliminator Finals. Death Triangle will have their two, match two, against the Elite, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. 
of the best of seven series, and Orange Cassidy, who actually should get destroyed in this match, but won't. Uh, he will be defending his title against Jake Hager, the guy with the cool hat. Uh, your thoughts on the AEW match card, sir? Thank you for reminding me that Jake Hager was still employed because they so so infrequently feature him on TV these days. Um, I do agree with you that from a realistic perspective, Jake Hager should just eat Orange Cassidy alive. Sorry, Orange Cassidy fans. But I don't think it's going to happen, uh, especially with no build. This is probably going to be an Orange Cassidy win. Um, I'm actually predicting that the Elite will tie the uh, series against Death Triangle on Dynamite this upcoming week. I think it'll be another great match. Now that MJF is the AEW World Champion, I'm going to predict that Ricky Starks is going to defeat Ethan Page here um, because he definitely needs a babyface challenger if he's going to defend the title. And uh, and let's see, there was one more uh, segment. Uh, remind me. Uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, uh, Chris Jericho? Uh, yes, Chris Jericho. Le Champion. Um, yeah, I mean, Tomohiro Ishii will, uh, he's going to come out, uh, with some hard strikes and everything, but, uh, I could see Jericho laying him out with a, uh, Judas effect and retaining the, uh, ring of honor world championship. Yeah. I think that, uh, uh, Jericho's the right man for the job right now. And, uh, I love how they're bringing all these other old former ring of honor champions out and he's just laying them to waste. And he's going to go down as one of the greatest Ring of Honor uh, champions there there ever was. And I don't, in a way, as a Ring of Honor fan, that kind of worries me just a little bit because now I'm starting to wonder if they're not going to just end up retiring that belt in the company as a whole because it really looks like it's tilting that way. At first, um, I was hopeful. I thought, well, they brought him back. Uh, you know, they made Jericho champion because... They wanted to confirm this television deal that everybody was talking about. Uh, nobody talks about that anymore. And now he's defeating all of these old Ring of Honor champions, kind of like a farewell tour for the belt. So I don't know. Hmm. What are your thoughts? I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's it's looking more and more likely like something to that effect could happen. You have to kind of wonder if this upcoming ROH final battle pay-per-view will actually be the final swan song for Ring of Honor. Yeah, I just, uh, and you know, uh, Tony Khan, he is a, uh, you know, we've talked about him many times. He is a, uh, he's a fanboy, but he is a very smart businessman and Ring of Honor hasn't made him any money at all. All you have is Ring of Honor belts being defended on Dynamite and Rampage. So if it's bleeding him money and not making him anything, he does strike me as the type to let him go. So, uh, yeah, so that's that's all I have uh, for today, sir. Uh, what do you have for our episode? Anything else? Well, obviously it hasn't been announced yet, but do you, are you predicting any surprises at War Games this year, Kentucky guy? just want to get your thoughts on that. Yes, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up. And that's why I got you on this show, sir. I really appreciate it. Um, there is something going on with Bray Wyatt. And I don't know how much we're going to find out about it 
at War Games. Uh, not so much the War Games match, but at Survivor Series. And and the reason why is it because, man, that thing with L.A. Knight. So here here's Ray Ray Wyatt, and he is, uh, <laughs> he is uh, comes out to the ring and he's apologizing, actually trying to make an amends, apologizing that uh you know for his actions the previous week on uh you know headbutting uh LA Knight LA Knight comes to the ring and here's the thing Ray goes to shake his hand and apologizes LA Knight smacks him he smacks him and Ray shrugs it off and he's like you know what now we're even now we're even right now we're even and which you would think L.A. Knight would be smart enough to say, yeah, man, we're even. But he smacks them again. And you could see, you could see the anger in Ray's eyes. I mean, it, you could see it. I mean, it was, it was so obvious. And then the Usos, L.A. Knight backs out of the arena. And then it shoots to the Usos uh, questioning Carrying Cross if he's the fifth member uh, of the War Games match with the Brutes. But forget about that because that, that was just a setup. If you, you got to look behind that. And behind that, you see Bray Wyatt arguing with either himself or somebody. Now, if you look be- between the crates, there was a light shining and there was nobody there. However, there was another stack, so they could have been standing a little bit farther back. And then you have the, uh, the young lady interviewer backstage catches L.A. Knight. L.A. Knight goes, hey, you hang around in your job when you're, when you're done working for the night? No, you leave. But, and that was nice. But the main thing was in the door window was a different mask we haven't seen. It wasn't Uncle Howdy. It wasn't anything that we've seen yet. It was a completely different mask. And then, of course, everybody knows what happens later. Uh, L.A. Knight gets destroyed and, uh, you know, has is attacked and a bunch of crap is thrown on him. So I am thinking that we're going to get even more than what we got at Crown Jewel from Bray Wyatt. I think it's going to revolve around these next couple of pay-per-views, including the Rumble, are going to revolve not solely but a big part around Bray Wyatt and Bray Wyatt 6 reveals whether it's him in his own mind or what have you. That's the biggest surprise, I think. I know a lot of people are looking for uh, Owens and Zane to do something. Uh, like you said earlier, and you're spot on, that's just not happening right now. It's going to happen, but it's not happening right now. I think this is, uh, this is uh, all about Bray Wyatt, which is smart because, I mean, their ticket sales, their uh, merchandise sales have went out of the site. Uh, since extreme rules so but uh what are your thoughts on about any of that yeah i mean i, I want to see them reveal something at survivor series um whether it's finally reveal that you know these you know characters or these strange goings on that we've been seeing that there's that, that, that there's something behind them just so the audience kind of understands here here here's what's going on like yeah the wyatt six we're alluding to there being six people 
Um, we might not reveal who all six of them are right off the bat, but there definitely are six people. Like this is a new, essentially Brian, Wyatt family. Um, or I mean, again, just give us something because they keep dropping all these little hints and you've got to watch very closely. And it's smart of them because it's making the audience think a little bit. But at the same time, we have to start to understand what is this building towards. It can't just be we're dropping hints every week, but we're not giving you any answers. It's like watching a it's like watching a movie and you get to that final third act twist. And okay, here's the big reveal. Uh, okay, great. Uh, that's the big reveal. And then they reveal, and then suddenly towards the end of the third act, they 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 give you another reveal, and it's like, well, wait a minute. Well, I. I thought we already had the big reveal. You're giving us another one. So you can't just keep layering all these different twists on top of one another. Eventually you've got to pick a direction and stick with it. Yep. Uh, I agree. And, uh, I think it's time. Uh, uh I really do. Uh, I think it's time to find out just a little bit more and, and they're doing it. They're, they're doing it perfectly. They really are. I can't fault them. Uh, I can't say that they're going too fast or too slow. Uh, the L.A. night, I mean, the episode right before we were just talking uh, about how it's time for Ray to hit somebody. And then, boom, that night he, uh, you know, he headbutts L.A. night. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. This, what's going on with Bray Wyatt and L.A. night is good for L.A. night also. Not everybody watches the main roster in NXT. So this is very good. They're showing that he's legitimate. He doesn't look weak at all in any of this he actually looks like he just don't care and he's not afraid of uh, bray wyatt i mean he slapped the man twice so this is going to be good for him a good introduction which I, i'm okay with because i like la night a good introduction uh for la night into the main roster fans what do, what do you think about that i am glad that they're not making him look like a chump because it'd be too easy for them to do that for them for them to just eventually build to a match between Bray Wyatt and L.A. Knight, and L.A. Knight just gets squashed. You've got to show that he can fend for himself and put up a fight. Because if he gets squashed by Bray Wyatt, how are we going to take him seriously against anyone else? So, win, lose, or draw, L.A. Knight's still got to show that he's not afraid. Yep, 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 yep. I agree. All right, folks, so that is all the time we do have uh, for today's episode of Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. You've been listening to your hostess, the Kentucky guy, and Donnie Cage. Thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, God bless and God bless America.